0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the helium and Bailey Notebook. As always, I'm Josh Healy and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague Mitchell. And Mitchell, we've got a real treat in the form of professional footballer, or former professional footballer and current one soccer analyst Jordan Wilson joining us today. Jordan, how are you doing?
1: I'm good guys, how are you? How's the Christmas, New Year's, how's everything?
2: Fantastic man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Christmas was good. Um, I'm a I'm from Nova Scotia as well. So I live in Halifax, went down to Cape Breton for Christmas. So that was fun to see the family. How about yourself? How's how was the holiday? Yeah, good.
1: It was relaxing. Um, family came in from, from Calgary, stayed with us for, for three weeks. Um, so that was nice. Uh, just enjoying yeah, Just enjoying the time with the the kid, the wife, and we both have big family. So it's just a, a lot of a lot of running around. Nice, man. Happy to hear that uh, holiday
2: season treated you well. But to your career, well, we're going to get really official now.
0: Let's um, do it. Jordan, obviously, you grew up in Mississauga, Ontario, and I'm just really curious how you got started. Uh, you know, did your did your dad, uh, you know, have an interest in football? Did you always want to be professional? How, how did that all come about?
1: Yeah, I think my dad was the, the start. Um, he'll be the catalyst in my story for sure. The person that put the ball at my feet um, from an early age. something i fell in love with since i was three and so i think it's a bit of both i think it was soccer is always something where i felt as if that was just like my piece like anything else could be chaotic as a kid you're going through so much when you're you're growing up and hormones and all this but soccer is just something i had a ball in my locker in high school like whenever i just needed to get touches or i needed to get centered it was soccer so it was a bit of both it was more like a it was in the family for sure but it was something that I was introduced to young, and I just fell in love with, it and, and just didn't look back. Yeah,
0: obviously, I was just gonna jump in there, Mitchell. Obviously, the, uh, the the you know the football landscape in Canada when you were growing up is a little different than it was now. What was it? What was it like coming up through the youth system in, in Mississauga?
1: You know, I, I kind of describe it now to younger players, players I used to coach, um, just any teenagers, but even parents that ask me, I feel like the time where I grew up it was just it was pure like it wasn't really about academies or how much money you're spending it was really take the best players and go to the club level and we're gonna play you in the winter we're gonna play you in the summer and you're gonna grow up so there are rivalries with players that i grew up with as kids and i see now and i'm instantly like thrown back 20 years to like when you used to play and there are a few names you can mention even playing with them in, in the cpl but it's just like you're brought back to a time where you're 12 13 14 15 battling and i remember taking losses as serious as like the premier league at that time like you're just you're you're gutted or you're going to school with those guys or you know friends of a friend so it's like you just always do want to have bragging rights so i'd say at that time we didn't train as much but we trained very hard i think all of us wanted to be um as good as we could and go as far as we could and i think that time i say pure just because It wasn't about money or how far you could go with it i think we were just all pushing to to be better and that club system where it was just maybe like 300 400 for the the summer uh when you're doing tournaments and whatnot it was just very pure very much uh just get the most out of what you're doing when you
2: talk about that when you say that it was it was very pure back when when you were developing and coming up like do you think that there's been a difference now in, in kind of the barriers that are that are kind of in place for for certain players? Like you said that, you know, it was only about four hundred dollars to to get involved at the club level. Is it a little bit lesser attainable now? Or where do you think it is? What direction has it gone in between your days and a teenager getting
1: Yeah, obviously inflation is real and obviously the time is different. But I think I think you're catching on to like I, I grew up in a, a time where you're playing club and then TFC Academy came. I remember everyone wanted to like go and kind of rush and make themselves available for TFC Academy. And if you think about it, in such a large place as the GTA, right, the Toronto region, the greater Toronto area, and everyone's rushing to play for one Academy team, it's just a bit, it's a bit difficult, right? If you think (laughs) not all the best players could be selected. That's just kind of how it was. So for me, I kind of liked being in the middle ground. I wasn't the worst player, but I wasn't the best player. I was just that guy that like had a bit of potential and worked hard. And I had good habits, and that's what kind of helped me play. But I think to answer your question about nowadays, I think there are more opportunities. I think what comes with that is, um, yeah, I guess talent spread out. Talent is a bit more, um, I don't want to say like there are loopholes, but it's just there are so many more options to to really go and play and and what you want to do with it. So it is different. I don't know if I was to grow up in this day and age, if I was 14 right now, what I would do. But for me growing up, it's very simple. There was OISL, there was Ontario Soccer League, one league that was the top league in my age group. And if you're playing for it, you're playing for one of the teams and you're going at it against London, Brampton East. I play for Aaron Mills, North Mississauga, whatever it might be, Oakville, you're just kind of going club against club. So it was a bit, it's a bit more, I guess, regimented or easier to 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 find yourself playing. And I think now it's just uh, yeah there's just a lot more options to say it plainly
2: yeah definitely more resources as well like like you mentioned and just like growing up towards the end of when you were in in high school per se like was it your objective to try to figure out the pathway that could bring you into playing professional football I know you went to play college uh, in the states right like yeah no so
1: I would say around grade six grade seven My best friend and I were actually talking about this the other day because I was like, Yeah, I'm going to go play in the States because I was like, Both my parents are educators. They're like, You have to go and play, or you have to go and have a post secondary, you have to go and college, university, you have to do something. So I was like, Look, I don't want to stop playing soccer, but I also know that my parents would kill me if I don't get a degree. So I said, The best way to do that is to get a scholarship. And now this is a time where, soccer in canada just wasn't at the level it is now so getting a scholarship to play in the u.s was probably the best viable option for me like i wasn't good enough nor ready and i also explained about my parents to go and play at 18. so i knew grade six grade seven it was like high school is that time to really focus um get good enough grades so that i can go and get a scholarship and uh, that was my focus then i think once i got the scholarship I was like, I don't want to stop. I'm, I want to go and play at the highest level. And I think at that point, too, there are a lot more players doing that. I had an older brother that was five years older than me. He started doing that. But he was in the realm of the the, the Andrew Ornox and, and maybe guys that you could kind of look at and be like, oh, okay, well, this guy played. Um, so I was a younger brother saying, well, if they're playing in Europe, um, why can't I do that? Since uh, I see they're good enough. I'm training with them. Um, obviously they're better than me and bigger than me, but I'm like, why can't I be that good in, in five years time? So that's kind of the mentality I had It's more gradual bit by bit,
0: of course. And you had quite a good showing at the collegiate level. Um, you know, you had over 60 appearances, uh, uh, which was fantastic, but I did notice that there's a bit of a gap between when you wrapped up your college career and then actually making the move to Europe, I believe is Denmark where you, you landed your contract. Kind of walk us through that process and what it was like um not only joining the professional ranks but but also leaving north america and you know immersing yourself in a completely different culture
1: yeah so i'm saving the the full story with all the facts for a memoir that maybe i write one day but i'll give you the bullet points for me is like once yeah. i graduated i was literally since i i got the diploma in my hand two weeks later i had family in england i said i'm gonna go to the hardest place in the world my brother lives there, um, has his family there. We're obviously from here, but whatever, moved there to, to coach. And I was like, okay, so I have a bit of a safety net. He lived in Bournemouth. I had a lot of family in London. I was like, I'm going to go to the hardest place to try to just get something going. Um, while I'm there, I'm living with family. England is so hard, it's so busy. It's like saying you're a footballer in England is just saying you, you want air to breathe. Like everyone is a footballer. Like you would talk to people like <laughs> you're playing for. And if you're not saying Tottenham, Arsenal, and like talking first team, you're just you're a regular old Joe. Everyone wants to play football. One, I loved it, but two, I just wasn't prepared for it in terms of how we treat football here. Also, the level like there are just there's just so many talented players. Um, long story short, I was playing like twelfth division over there, just like trying to get seen and 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 putting my name out there and trying what to. What was the name it. of the club? I was playing for a club called Croydon FC. Literally, a, a little bit up from Sunday League, but it was it was low on the on the football pyramid. And more for me, it was just because my dad's British, I had a British passport, just to be over there and try to get acclimated in some way um, to the time zone, to to the the hustle, the grind. I was there for a little bit, and then um, through a connection I made, there was an ex-pro player. Uh, that had like runs and they were league one, league two players that were there. And he's like, look, if you can hang with these guys, maybe I can maybe talk to some some contacts. Uh, So I was with him and uh, I was doing well. And then he was basically like, look, I can get you on trial with this league two team. And um, I was like, okay, let's do it. Obviously I have nothing to play for. I'm like away from home. From that, I went and was on trial, I was doing all right. I was playing like right back. Again, there's so much talent. in England, I wasn't standing out. I wasn't the worst player, but I wasn't good enough, I would say, if I'm actually being honest, to be like, look, this is a um, a team that I could get into. And I remember Phil Brown at the time, it was Southend United in League Two, was like, look, you're a good player. I could recommend you to play somewhere. But like, and he was just new to the club. He's like, I'm not signing you to be a full time first team player. At that club, there was a guy that was from a Danish Super League club. That was like, you would kill it in Denmark. You're a good player. You just need like the right um, setup. And I guess a little backtrack in the story is I used to play with a travel team, Bridges FC, um, based out of Chicago. And I used to take trips every summer to Europe and play pro teams. And there were a lot of college guys in the summer. They would just be training. A guy, Brett Hall, used to play for Chicago Sting, play like Beck Bauer and Pele and all those guys like back in the 70s, 80s. Um, he took a real liking to me, and I was training with them. So I kind of knew a bit about Denmark because I had a bit of interest as well from a team, Hobie Crew, when I was younger, like 19. I went on a trip. They liked me, came back. My, I told my dad, I'm like, look, sophomore year, let me go. He said, no chance. You got to finish school. That whole connection just went away. This yeah. was like three years later, I graduated. I was basically just on my own. I couldn't go back to that old coach and be like, hey, you remember – you want to sign me for u
2: was What done. was that like for you at that time as well? Were you really intrigued? You wanted to go over with this club? Like, was it disappointing yeah. that you had to stay at the collegiate oh, club? Oh, for sure. Like, I
1: remind my dad all the time. He's like, oh, you haven't built me, like, a mansion yet? I was like, well, I could have started when I was 19. But uh, guys <laughs> basically that. And they honestly, they made the right decision. At the time when I'm a 19-year-old, I was like, let me go. But it, it makes so much sense to just let me grow up a bit, get a degree, also just something to fall back on you don't play football forever I think that was very smart at the time I didn't I didn't love it obviously I'm I'm like this is what I want to do and I think now if it was the same situation my dad would probably let me go because it was like online you could do like this is a time when that wasn't really happening right in 2010 like yeah of course you could do online courses but usually it was like if you're at university you should finish and get your degree it wasn't like hey do two years, and then, you will know, do the other two years somewhere else. What was that your was degree a, in, or what is it? A I did, uh, humanities, creative writing. I kind of wanted to, when I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. So hmm. i still do some days, to be honest. So I just wanted to get an English degree, and then the, the plan was maybe to come back and, and do faculty, do the two years, um, do, do teacher's college. But once I got the degree, that, that was good enough for my parents to be like, hey, you can go do what you want. So, yeah, that's what I did. Um... So I'll wrap this up quickly. The Danish team, I was on Superliga, had no affiliation. It's just like, where did this guy play? I went to NAIA school. They're like, they don't know, or at the time, they didn't know anything about the American system. So it's like this Canadian kid who played for a small American school. Like, he's good, but like, I didn't really come from anything. I just kind of like, fell out of the, the sky and like, ended up in Denmark. So I used that. I went on trial, didn't make it, but I used that time. I'm like, I'm in Denmark. I have like. It's a country of 5 million people. I have the skill. I know I could do it. I just need to maybe suffer a little and like maybe regress and, and don't go to the highest league, maybe go to the second or third highest. I went on a few trials in the second best league um, and didn't work out. And I said, you know what? Let me go to the third. And like there I was like thriving, doing very well. I was playing for a team that was trying to stay up and stay promoted um, or sorry, stay in that league and not get relegated. And, but there was just a bunch of talent and that worked out in the long term for me because so many coaches would come to see other players um, because they had names, they're either from Sweden or whatever, or Denmark, and they came to watch us play. And then I just kind of just stood out like this Canadian guy was playing. And then I ended up getting an opportunity. So it was basically for me, I guess why it took so long, um, you would say a year and a half was because in that time I was trying to get my feet wet in England. I moved home for 6 months cuz I ran out of money. I came back and was trying to play for a Danish Superliga team. I didn't make it. Ended up playing with another team. Then I did a good 6 months basically playing for a third division team in Denmark, but just like I was getting paid I guess you'll say it, now I can say it, like under the table, like it wasn't a contract. Yeah, yeah. Um and then finally, but all that led to me signing with the team that I stayed with for five years and got promoted with them and actually had uh, I would say a career at that point. So it was just a big, I'm I'm speeding through it again because some of the stuff that happened was gold and maybe one day I can actually write something about it. But it was a lot of like no's and lying to my parents that yeah, everything's great but like it wasn't until <laughs> it was. was. Uh, and that's basically how it happened. I, I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have stayed that long, but I just didn't want to come home. I didn't really take no for an answer.
0: But that speaks to determination though, right? Like you stuck it out and you made it. Uh, it, it must have been so rewarding when you finally signed that that first contract uh, and stuck around, right? You were a professional then, Get, not yeah. getting paid under the table and, and you would made it work.
1: Like, yeah, and I look at what I was making at the time when I signed my first deal in 2015. And it was nothing illustrious. I could not retire from it. It wasn't great by any means. But I think when you talk about moving to England, then moving back, then taking a quick trip to Denmark, then coming back home, because you literally ran out of money. I'm at the airport calling my mom. She sends me home. I said, thank you. I worked for six months. I was doing like working at Costco, eight hour shift shift coaching in the night. And then like working out sometimes at like 10, 10 p.m. just to go and do it all again thinking that okay in January I'm gonna go so I came back in August and then knowing that in January I'm gonna go back again to try um yeah I was like look I finally did it and then I had new goals once I signed like look I want to go as far as I can with it so for me yeah I have a I've played for eight years but it's such a rewarding time because I feel like I've maximized my potential like I think the cards that were set for me and what I actually do with my career um I superseded so for me that's why I always have confidence and i'm really grateful with it because not a lot of people and it's not to toot my own horn it's just a fact like a lot of people should have given up because it wasn't really like you couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of the time but i'm glad that i stuck it out
2: yeah what was the um you know first off i'm I'm stoked to read that memoir someday sounds like you've got you got two readers here (laughs) (laughs) you sold your first two copies already um what was the reception like from supporters when you first joined the club from just reading the statistics and whatnot it seemed like you kind of became a regular starter um yeah quite regular like quite quickly after your signing so um just that environment obviously that must have been the first time that you were playing in front of a quite a passionate crowd um obviously in, in europe at that level right so what was it yeah like no,
1: I, I loved it i think uh, i could have played for um a few other teams i played in the division when i was playing first division with 12 teams and uh two or three teams from the super league or the top flight would come down every year they get relegated so it's a competitive league um and obviously two would get promoted from first division but i think what was interesting about the club that i signed for and played probably 100 130 140 matches for them something like that was because they're such a a family small club like I was a big fish in a small pond. Like in the the Denmark scene, yeah, I was playing for a dinky club. But where I lived, like losses were felt throughout the city. Wins were felt throughout the city. Um, Just the fan base, right? Like I can remember the very few goals that I scored. But if I did score a goal, I was a hero. Or the red cards were felt for weeks because you're letting down people um, in a city. So that was huge.
2: Where specifically was the club located?
1: So, New Coping is on an island that is basically um, in a region called Chilen. but it's like you have Copenhagen probably an hour 15 north of New Coping, but New Coping is just like a little island that it takes maybe 10 minutes to get to the big island where uh, Copenhagen and everything is, but yeah, so it's just a very small family club. Everyone knew everyone. Um but if you're a footballer there, you were, you were beloved for sure.
2: He must've been a celebrity and uh you know, I that hate that word
1: because I mean, but it's because it was so small. It was like, yeah, you, everyone knew you. Um, and like I said, losses were felt wins were felt. Um, I remember when we got promoted, I literally felt like we were, we were floating just because of how the <laughs> city was. Um, but those experiences were, yeah, they, Again, it was an eight-year career, but it was just something that, yeah, there's so many great moments that I'll, I'll never forget.
0: Uh, to pivot a little bit towards the CPL and where your career, um, you know, progressed um, or a- ended up going, um, wh- you know, can you remember the first time you heard about, you know, the chatter back home about the Canadian Premier League potentially being a thing? Did Did you know immediately that, hey, this is a, an avenue that I want to do or... Or were you happy to continue, uh, you know, with with your club in Denmark?
1: Honestly, 2019 or a bit before, then it was 2018. Um, a good friend of mine, Kyle Porter, I know he signed for York 9 at the time. Um, another good friend, Roger Thompson. Like, I knew players were coming back home to play, but I was doing really well where I was at. And I was like, I didn't really think. And Europe, I was always, not coach, but I always just thought Europe was a spot to be at. Even if you're playing in Denmark, second division, second tier football, um, I felt like it was just more established. It was a bit more professional. So I was like, I thought it was great because I don't think you'll meet anyone who loves Canada more than me and Canadian soccer specifically. Like I've always repped it hard. So I was like stoked for the league, but I wasn't one of the players that was like, hey, I'm coming back home to play. Um, what really happened is my I signed a new deal in 2018 for a year and a half. Um, 2020, the summer of 2020, my contract was running out and I just knew that it was time for me to move on, move on. didn't really mean come home, but my now wife at the time I, we were talking, we were just getting serious. It was just getting to that point. And I knew whatever deal I did next, um, I kind of wanted her a part of it. She has a really yeah. good job. I know that she didn't want to move, but it would have to be something that if I was playing in Europe that I was set up and i was doing something where i felt like this is a place i want to stay so i was really open i had a guy i'll I'll name drop josh carabasikis from icon sports group he kind of helps a a bunch of players in, in the cpl he was talking to me for a while over a year about coming back to the cpl and i i was always just like frank with him that i want to see the league grow a bit i feel like i could play another place but i wasn't opposed to it because it's home like if i'm gonna play anywhere if i was gonna retire anywhere i'd want it to be at home but this was a time when i was 27 28 and i was playing good football and i think now in canada 27 28 is old but in europe you're seasoned right like it, now i've been playing for four or five years so it was one of those things where i could actually pick and choose maybe where i was trying to play in denmark at least in my league like i could figure out another team to go yeah. to um yeah so, yeah, I wasn't like, hey, I, I wasn't dead set on coming home, but I knew it could be an option. And then when my contract ran out, this is obviously um, six months after COVID, uh, 2020 in the summer, where I was like, just trying to figure out what I was going to do. And it kind of just came on the table, an option at York, and I thought it was the best decision for me at the
2: time. Were there any other Canadian Premier League clubs interested at the time, or was York the first one and only one to reach out before you made the... Oh,
1: it's like an ongoing joke with my other good friend, Jelani Smith, because immediately I was like, oh, I want to go to Forge um, because they're just playing so well. Well, uh, I think how you look at that is... well, the story with that is I wanted to go out and, and train and trial with them, like go and see what it was like. And look, I'm, again, I'm not the best footballer in the world, but I'm certain I could have added to, to forge, but I was look at, if I had, I didn't notice at the time, but if I had two years, would I want to be a player who played all the time at York or would I want to be a guy that's a role play at forge. And I'm like, of course, it'd be nice to win some titles, but. I just enjoyed my time at York. I enjoyed who I played with. I enjoyed how much I played. Uh, I enjoyed kind of being on an average team and trying to like work to be or beat a top team on the day. Um, So yeah, so to answer your question, Forge was like the first team. I was like, it's a no brainer. A good friend of mine who I grew up playing with, Jelani Smith was involved. Um, They played good football. Had names like Kyle Becker. I knew Emery Welshman growing up. I just knew players that were there um i thought the way the club i still do think this the way the club was ran just through sigma basically kind of being a feeder and academy and then bobby is a brilliant football mind in canada i was like look this is a, a no-brainer but granted this was also through a time where like covid was a situation you couldn't just it was off season in october november i couldn't just go to a club and um say hey look at me sign me like it was a situation where you probably have to get acclimated so when it came down to it, Forge was a situation where I'd probably have to go and like trial and 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 test myself out and see if I gel with the guys, see if Bobby would like me, because Bobby didn't know me. And then York was a situation where it was all new. I knew Roger Thompson. I didn't know any other players, but Angus McNabb and 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 Jim Brennan at the time are like knew a bit of me. And it was probably easier and better to go. And I was like, look in this climate i'm like i just want to play football i don't i don't really care i don't have an allegiance to going to hamilton or going to york i just want to play ball so i just chose york because it made the most sense to me at the time uh, but i have no regrets i'm glad i did that
0: it, it obviously paid off as well again you know you had over 50 appearances for york race right? so you were playing regularly and um, you know obviously we're we're sitting on the couch watching you play but uh you know it was it was an interesting time um what was that transition like going from Europe to, you know, what was very much a fledgling CPL coming out of COVID?
1: Yeah. So this was probably the first time in my life where I had a year off. So I remember when I, we came to the second bubble, um, yeah, in Winnipeg, it was like the first time I was actually playing football for a year, um, competitive football. So there was like a learning curve for me. I had to get fit. It took me about, honestly, probably when the bubble was over, I felt fit. And and could actually play football the right way, um, and I'm not one of the play- one of those players that could just like get by on talent. A lot of what I brought to a team was my work rate. So if I wasn't fit, it was hard to really show that. Um, and the bubble is just difficult in itself. But I think coming back into I think yeah that season um, starting it was refreshing because there's just so much talent in the CPL. I think players are individually fast, strong, um, technical. I think what maybe Europe has obviously over the CPL is just like the history, right? And the fact that it's just a bit more professional. There are clubs that have been um, established for 50, 60, 100 years. Like that's just what they have over the fact that the CPL is, is five years in. So you're just still trying to build that culture. But it was, yeah, it was great to play at home. I think it was the first time in my life where my mom, sister, dad, Uh, my now wife best friend could all see me play like they all had moments of me in my life my best friend my sister when I was younger my mom when I was in uni um my dad my whole life but even like my now wife at that time just kind of saw me play here and there online but live in the flesh it was just yeah it was remarkable to have that experience
2: and with us obviously both being based in Nova Scotia, it doesn't hurt to to ask uh, you know, what were your first impressions, you know, when traveling to come play in Halifax for the first time? Did the the atmosphere here at, at Wanderers Ground take you back a bit and kind of instill some optimism about what atmospheres
1: throughout the league could could look like? Best and worst place to play. Um, what I what I mean by that, and I would say this even when I played, is that this is the only Wanderers Ground's the only stadium that feels like europe and what i mean by that is they're close one you're playing on grass i know hopefully that will change um, with the new project coming up but in terms of just keeping fans so close like i could hear their thoughts um, and and they made things known to me when i gave up penalties or penalties that weren't deserved or whatever it might be they were just in your ear and i love that environment i think also too when fans go to game as long as there's nothing derogatory or racial, like enjoy yourself. Say what you want to say. Say I suck. Um, know things about me and say that. Like that's fine. As, again, as long as you're not doing anything out of pocket and that's what you get at Wanderer's Ground. So it was really refreshing um, to play there. And some of the most interesting, fun games I've ever played in were at Wanderer's Ground. So yeah, it's a, it's a place that if you ask most players in the league, like majority will say, that is the place that they they enjoy playing just because of the fans and because of the atmosphere.
2: Something that's always, I, I, I'm always curious about this is like you mentioned, you know, people are yelling at you saying whatever and you encourage that and you kind of both, it makes it tough to play in that kind of atmosphere, but I'm sure it also motivates you. What are some methods that you've learned to apply throughout your playing career to, I guess, stay focused on, on your job, on the pitch and kind of drown out, you know, whatever someone might be yelling at you?
1: yeah i think i'm one of those players and just even people now that i've retired that if you tell me like i can't do something naturally i feel that i could prove you wrong if i care enough to so people heckling me always made me play better um and some of the stuff they said nothing and i've done this at against ottawa calvary halifax like certain fans will say something and it genuinely makes me laugh because it's funny like be like, whatever it might be that I can't defend or um, whatever it is, whatever they come up with, it usually makes me laugh because I think obviously I'm not a perfect player, but I just know what I offer to a team. So whatever you're saying, whatever you bought your ticket to come to a game and say to me, I usually find comical, um, and that using me laughing doesn't really egg them on. They kind of just give up on me in a way because um, it just doesn't penetrate truthfully. Like I would hear people say the most. And I just kind of laugh it off. Like genuinely, I think it's I think it's hilarious. Is there anything in particular that stands out to you comedically? Ah, uh, no, I can't really remember. <laughs> Honestly, it all kind of blends together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just I know that a lot of the times, even if I got into a, a little bit of a kerfuffle with someone on the pitch, and they would say something to me, whatever we say when we get into someone's face, I tackle him. Maybe I hit him. He gets up and he wants to fight. I usually smile because usually the guys that were like getting ready to do that weren't guys that would win in a fight. Like I, I've never really had a big guy that I know could like take me on. Um say something to me. It's usually a mutual respect. It would always be a guy smaller or a guy I know I could I could literally put into a, a figure four leg lock. So I just found that funny to me. Um and I would just laugh. But I'm weird. I'm different. No, Most I think that's aren't.
2: probably the healthiest approach that you could take.
1: Yeah, that, that's just how I've always looked at it. I'm like, usually, if I got if I got someone that could, when I was six four and two twenty, and was bigger than me. That's probably the time I say sorry, big fella. Like that's me, and they usually accept that. I don't see the big guys getting ready to like attack me. It's usually a guy that I could eat for breakfast that is getting in my face, and I always found that funny.
2: Um, oh, sorry. Just one more thing. I just really curious about what would you say the the gap? I, I'm sure it obviously has changed. Oh, even over the last few seasons of the CPL. But when you first played your first few matches here um, in Canada, you know, compared to the second division in Denmark, what would you say, obviously different styles of play as well, but how big is the, the gap talent-wise?
1: I don't think the gap is big at all talent-wise. Again, Denmark is a small country of 5 million people, but they love their football and there's talented players. I think the biggest difference, and you can see the CPL and the team, they have grown exponentially in the past five years. It's just the tactics. For example, a day before a match in uh, first division in Denmark, we had spent so much time talking about the other team's number 10 and how he likes to come in. And this is what he does with his left foot. And you can see the moves that he tries to do. And these are the times that he do it in formation. And we focus so much on this other team. And then it comes to game day. And oftentimes, that player will not even be in the lineup. So we focus all this time on how a team is going to play. But that's just how coaches do. They want to do their due diligence. And I like the CPL because I think a lot of coaches tactically are in tune with how they want to play, and obviously they play teams four times, so they they know players and they know how. They, but they're mostly concerned about getting their lineup, their players, their play right. So I would say probably the difference would be in Denmark and and Scandinavian countries are just known more like known for tactics, playing a certain way and having a certain style. I like that the CPL and the coaches and the players There's a bit of a hybrid. Yes, there is a style, but there are just still those X factors that will hurt you. The players that, you know, if they're playing and they're on, they can go and change the game. And and it's a bit more raw. And I think that's also marketable. I think that's also what makes the CPL so um, enjoyable to watch. And if you're looking at a season like this past one in 2023, that's what had you at the edge of your seat is because on any given day, there could be certain guys that stepped up and really just changed the game. Um, I think that's just what needs to be continued to be nourished because, yeah, it's gold.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say, I so I covered uh, the Wanderers pretty in-depth this season for the Wanderers Notebook, uh, just the blog I run here in Halifax. And what you're speaking to, like that star power almost, like you can feel it. Like I remember the when uh, Morelli came back this year and he stepped on the pitch for the first time. There was like, this magnetism of like, yeah, what is he going to do? Right. Like, and, and, and he stepped into it, but you have the same feeling, you know, when Bassett plays or Bevan or, or whatever else, you know, you're seeing um almost like a cult following start to build up around the league. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. For sure. And I think you guys obviously being on the East coast and Nova Scotia and Halifax, like watching that team, you saw a plethora of players that were doing that this year. Like you, you don't, you can't just say three or four this season for Halifax Wanderers. Like you guys had a full, full display of talent. And I just think that's the beauty of one, getting a coach that knows Canada and knows knows what he wants to, what he wants to bring to his team. And Patrice Geiser, like he's done a phenomenal job. But then I also think it's just the talent that you have in this country. If you mix it with a few foreigners and you have a good idea, yeah, there's there's no stopping what the CPL could be.
0: Uh, obviously you had a front row seat this season um you know hanging up the boots and and uh, adopting the microphone um I think it's almost actually a year since you penned your letter in one soccer to announce your retirement uh how how do you feel the the year went in uh in in you know the press box versus uh, on the pitch
1: it was good it was tough at times if I'm being honest it was never to the moment where I was like hey I want to play but It was almost like I could see myself playing just because I knew I was still fit, especially if I'm looking specifically at my life. I was looking at York United this season, and there were many times where they needed a center back, where they needed a midfielder, where they needed a leader, and I was just doing that, literally that job six months prior, Um, so it was just a bit it was weird in in times to really find my place because I've always just played football. And it'd be different if I had this career-ending injury and I was like, knew that I wanted to go into media and I did it, but being able to still play but then not playing, I always just kind of had to like root myself. Um, But I also think that is, uh, I think that is an advantage of mine is that I could still, like, I still know what it feels, like it's fresh on me. the game they experience, winning, losing, knowing what the players feel like. So I think it also helps me put myself in, in their shoes. But um, yeah, I think this career, I think covering the game um, is a cheat code. Like I'm truly blessed because yeah, soccer is something I always think about. And I, I never, as a kid, I didn't think this would be a job that I could do just because growing up with soccer in Canada, there wasn't just really much for us to do. So even having a job like, like you have now, Josh and Mitchell, you guys can like write blogs and cover Halifax like, closely. I think it's just a blessing. So for me, yeah, that's the way I look at it. I think um, it was tough, but it was needed and necessary. And I think it was the right decision for me to to retire when I still had a little bit more juice left in the tank. You never wanna be juiceless at retiring. You always wanna be like, I could give you a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I stepped away. Yeah, what?
0: it's it's one of those things you get to like call your shot, right? Like you're leaving the game on your terms versus you know, picking up an injury or, or you know, a club not wanting you or something, right? You you got to pick your, sure. your exit.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, but it, it was something that I felt that was necessary for me, for my family. Also just my future, like just putting things in perspective. You're never gonna play football. You're gonna be out of longer, you're gonna be out of football longer than you're in it that's just a fact if you play to your 40 and you still live a healthy life to your 75 you still have to figure out what you're doing from 40 to 75 like i know you can retire but you regardless you still have to figure out what you're gonna do so for me i found it um i love media i love covering the game so now it's just uh it's time for me to put the same effort i did playing into into this side
2: yeah and you slid into that role relatively naturally as well like you can't tell that you know when you listen to the one soccer post-game shows or any kind of analysis that this is your first year essentially covering this professionally um, I know that I was reading your retirement letter before we did the podcast and I think you wrote something about how becoming a part of the, the media industry was was always part of your plan um, how did the opportunity at one soccer come about
1: Um. so for me when I first came back I I had a lot of Sorry, when I first came back to Canada, I think the biggest thing for me was to, like, show that, yeah. Like, when you're a player that's older and you've played five years, I'm playing with guys who are first-year pros. So a lot of it is eyes are on you. You're a big brother. You're a captain. You're a lot of my players that I played with, like, I was unk. Like, I was, like, the uncle, like, cool uncle. Like, literally, because I just have that many years on them, and they're 20, and I'm turning 30. So, like, we're just in different stages in life. Um, I knew that if I played three, four, five years in the league, I would still want to be a part of soccer somehow. So I think for me is is watching the Gareth Wheelers and the Oliver Platts and Andy Petrillo and Adam Jenkins and seeing all of them week in and week out. I was like, I love what they do. I kind of want to get into it. So for me, it was just reaching out and and it seems to maybe the naked eye that I was just playing and then they plopped me on the couch and then I started covering the game but a lot of it was just doing work behind the scenes and making those connections and sometimes when I had a free day just going to the studio picking people's brain I'm um, really seeing like what it would be like if I was to do this but when I was doing this I wasn't thinking that I was going to retire I was just like down the road I want to do it or maybe I could do it freelance sometimes like covering the finals when york lost like that was always a plan of mine but it was never a plan to have it full-fledged full-time uh but i felt equipped and and then just happened so basically to answer your question it was more of just knocking on the door putting myself in the we say in, in soccer like the shop window making myself available and then yeah bit by bit they were like you know you you could be an asset you could be someone that that does well in this but it, it to the naked eye it just seemed like i just literally hung on my boots and then plopped on the couch but i was like I was doing a lot of work in, in silence to, yeah, make myself available for the, the position. You put in the time, Um,
2: you know, well, like to, to make that transition into media as well, like for someone like new podcasts, like ours, what, what kind of um, advice would you give to, you know, other people involved in the media? If that, you know, they want to get involved in and in covering Canadian soccer specifically as, as the game be- continues to grow, become more popular in the country. Um, what, what what would you, what would you say to someone to that that's, you know, aspiring to, to get involved and perhaps one day, you know, be on that one soccer couch? Yeah,
1: I think for for me, I don't have it all figured out. But one thing I will say is that be authentic yourself. That is like, for me, I, I've i never sat on the couch. Of course, you'll say stuff, but if we have a show like there's certain things that come out, right? Maybe it's a lot of the truth and you really believe it. Maybe it's, majority of the truth and you're selling it. But at the end of the day, you have to be Josh, you have to be Mitchell. I have to be Jordan. Like I can't be anyone else. The second that you try to do that, I think people can sniff it out. So if there's something I really feel in my heart, it might hurt to say I might even step on ex players or friends toes. But I think for me it's just being yourself. Like whoever you are is is being more vulnerable. And it's funny because I think I can go on a rant, but even if you look at the best comedians or they're just, they tell jokes about like their life or they're just their truer self and they're able to laugh about it. And I think for me, even the year I've had in one soccer is that I'm not going to switch up. I was a player. There are like levels to me. Um, and I just make that known and I'm a bit more vulnerable and transparent about that. Um, but I just have to remain true to myself. I would say that's probably the gold dust for, for anyone in the, the broadcast blog podcast world is just like yeah just being being authentically you do you ever find yourself um
2: subconsciously
1: rooting for York a
2: little bit when you're doing commentary
1: <laughs> um so funny enough this whole season I was never rooting for York but I did root for certain players granted I will say this though this went this was widespread throughout the league there were moments where I was sipping the Morelli Kool-Aid heavily One, because I just respect his game. I like his story. I like anyone who's come back from injury. You guys live over there, but he's Mr. Halifax to me, um, along with Pappersad. I was heavily rooting for Ali Moussi at moments this season because I played against him. He's gotten the better of me sometimes. And I remember matches where I was, not many, but there were a couple where I was soaring over him. I was like, yeah, I got your number. But I just thought that he was instrumental in Calvary making a run, and that was the truth. He had a great year, and there was a reason why Calvary were were there at the end, but also uh, won the league by by 13 points. So to answer your question, was I cheering for York? No, but I there were, di- there were times where I was looking for a Max Ferrari, or I wanted to see Richie score, or yeah, there were just certain moments where I was like I was really pushing for for players that I know and respect
0: you cheer for people, right? You, you know?
1: Yeah. Sometimes a story too, right? There are games I was watching. That's why I knew I was, I was in the media world because I was, I was pushing for the story. I was pushing for an upset or definitely not a draw, definitely for a team to just go out and outright win um, just because it made for a better story.
2: Speaking of rooting for individual players, um, is there one CPL player that you could think of right now that you think deserves a shot in a bigger league?
1: Yeah, so again, now this with this question, whatever I answer, there's always going to be someone I forget, um, and they're going to be like, oh, Jordan doesn't think I'm good enough. It's not that. I just, maybe uh, maybe there's one that is at the, the tip of my tongue, and the others I forget. I think Ollie Bassett is quality. I would love to see him um, play at a different level and see how he fares out, because I think he's just a class football te- footballer technically. Also, just his brain—he's—he's he's always two steps ahead. But you play at a high level, it might be faster. Maybe he's one step ahead. Um, just seeing how he fares out. There are a couple of players, man. I think if I'm if I'm gonna talk about your wanders, I think Crazy and Massimo Fair I'm like, I don't know why he wasn't at York. I would have been. A, I would love to have played with him maybe a year or two ago, and it worked out. He ended up going to to Halifax, but I think he's quality. I think he's class. I think a Dan Nimick, I think, is a name that could go far. I think in two years' time, he could be playing some top-flight football somewhere. Not to say CBL isn't top-flight, but everyone understands what I mean by that, playing in a yeah. different league um, with different eyes on you um, and a different structure. So there are a few. Um, if you're looking at Calvary, who just won, Ali Musi before the season, I thought he has something that you just can't teach. Um the way that that left foot is sweet and he's perfecting his movements and goal scoring ability He's playing with confidence there are a plethora of players if, if you had to put a starting 11 i think you're still missing some players like if you had to do a full 18 i think maybe you get the, the studs in the lead but yeah there are a bunch of players that are, are ready to go off and, and do big things if they so choose
0: I, I just want to put it out there that Patrice Geyser called it that uh, Nimic 2026 Canadian men's national team. I'll just like remind it. everyone.
1: <laughs> I think even with you guys, like Josh and Mitchell, like putting those stories out there because yeah, they'll, they'll gain some traction. Like you can double down on a Dan Nimick. Uh You can double down on fair and you can double down on, on a lot of players for Halifax just in the league because there is talent. And I could say again, I played, I didn't play all across the world, but I played in a country where they love their football, and these players would do well there. Um, that's a fact. So,
0: awesome. Uh, one last question here, Jordan, and then we'll let you go. Uh, do you have any predictions for the Canadian men's national team uh, roundup here in March? Obviously, it's it's going to be against Trinidad and Tobago. So, Mister Halifax, Andre Ron Prasad will be leading the line against uh, the the boys in red and black. But uh, any any predictions? You know, any tips for what Canada needs to do to make sure that uh, they don't squander this opportunity?
1: Yeah, and I think also another name, Malcolm Shaw, as well, right? Playing. I know, uh, how I of course. That. Yes, definitely. I'm uh, just giving him a shout out as well. I think with Canada, we saw when they played Jamaica at Bemo, they had a great first half, and you saw almost a highlight how good they can be, how, how forward thinking they could be. I think it's just them taking care of the moments and almost having a bit of humility. Just um, what I said after the match when they played is that if they come with that humble approach, and everyone's willing to like kind of link arms and work together then they'll have a successful day but the second that they're playing for themselves or the second that they're not working for each other um they're vulnerable it's football like you're not expected or guaranteed to win you have to go out and show that you're the best side and the most in tune side to have a shot to win sometimes that doesn't even secure the victory so I think Trinidad will lead, and Tobago will lead into the fact that they're underdogs. They're playing at neutral ground, so that helps Trinidad as well. Um, of course, you could spin it and say it helps Canada, but what I'm trying to say is that they have to start well, they yeah. have to take care of the middle, and they have to end well as well uh, to really, really get that victory. I got to ask too,
2: before we wrap up, sorry, Josh, I just need to know that second half of that Canada-Jamaica game, like I can tell you personally, I felt like deflated for like two days after watching that, just how everything fell apart. What's the atmosphere like in in the one soccer studio, especially during a moment like that when the optimism is high, everyone feels like it's just got to do your job in the second half and it's clinched Copa America and it was totally unexpected. Just, you know, how do you, because I remember when it cut to you guys after the game, I could just sense the, disappointment to the screen yeah the like, wheels have fallen off
1: the funniest thing about this is my good friend annie patrillo says like and she's right you gotta stay neutral you gotta go and and, and deliver right no point in the camera's coming on us to talk about a game and i'm i'm just basically silent that that gives nothing um but we want canada to do well like this is like i don't want to a, a day after canada loses and obviously when they played jamaica that was a big one um i don't want to talk about them being humble or working hard together to get a job done or the fact that they let things slip through their fingers. I want to talk about goals or the way that there's a rising upcoming star. Like, these are things that I want to talk about. Um, so it's we feel it. More or less, we feel it. Like, I don't want to go a day after, the night after a match, go on air and talk about all the things that are wrong with Canadian men's national team or for the women the same way like I want it to be a situation where yes we can address issues but those are like small things and we're talking about positive football so to answer your question it's something where we feel it we feel it all I don't want to slate anyone and I think for the past year I haven't I've, I've I've provided facts but I would love to just talk about the good but that's obviously not my job. Like, you can't, after a huge loss, go out and be like, you know what? I think that they're hard done by. Like, you can't. As I said, it's going against what I told you guys. Is like, if I have to be authentically honest and transparent in myself. I have to be truthful about what we see. So, it's tough to answer your question because I'm almost rooting for them to always win or to also have a great performance because I don't want to talk about humility or working hard. But these are things that have to be addressed if that's not being seen yeah well, uh, 100%. I appreciate
2: that so yeah
0: yeah it's uh at, at some point you know you have to put on your your media hat right and, and draw that line um even though it makes your job a heck of a lot more fun and easier when uh when things go to Canada's way or or you know you get that storyline that you've been following all season long right yeah for sure
1: definitely yeah. agree
0: Perfect. Well, I think that's all we have time for, Jordan, but uh, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us and telling us about your journey over the past uh, little bit. Of course, again, we already have our uh, copies of your memoir signed up for, so please send those <laughs> in the mail to Halifax whenever you're ready. But uh, again, thank you so much. Is um, Where can people find you on social media if they want to follow along with uh, One Soccer this year?
1: Yeah, so obviously, first and foremost, please follow the One Soccer page at One Soccer, but for me, um Jay Wilson X V I I I. if you want to follow, and I'm usually reposting most things, everything that is soccer related. Um, but yeah, you have support just to build this Canadian or continue to build this Canadian ecosystem of soccer is important. Appreciate what you guys are doing as well on the East Coast, because every little bit counts, right? I think talking about the game, having those conversations, um, supporting teams, it's huge. This is cultures all around the world you can say england denmark france there are all these things that like push towards a, a club and we need it like the the mitch and the, the the joshes around the world like we need that so continue to keep doing that man it's important
0: yeah thank you so much and you know it's 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 happening right it's grown so much in the last number of years and it's only going to continue to grow as we uh get closer to the the world cup in 2026 so um, on your end of things Mitchell where can people follow you for uh, all the latest news
2: yeah so you guys can follow me at, uh, can- at Canadian Soccer Talk on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it these days it's at uh, C A N football F-U-T-B-O-L talk on, uh, on Twitter so give me a follow last but not least for all the latest Wanderers news
0: you can follow me at WanderersNotebook.ca or at Wanderers Notes on Twitter again thanks so much and until uh, next time guys